My name is Adam Worth, and today I am doing a very special episode of wherever you're getting this feed because we're releasing it on multiple networks. We're doing a love story, a love letter to Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet. So let's talk about what this show is, and I'm going to make this brief because I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a lot of my friends and colleagues, and shows like this can be painfully slow. The pacing can be horrible. So let's talk about what this show is going to be. This is going to be a recap of the source material for the original Infinity Gauntlet. Um, We are going to try very hard not to spoil the current movie. Now, if you haven't seen it yet, really, what are you doing with your life? You are not a true fan of this material if you haven't went to see it, but I understand sometimes life and kids and family get in the way and you just can't get out there. That's fine. So we're not going get to em. we're not going to spoil this movie. We are going to dissect and do a deep dive into who Thanos is, how he got the infinity gems. Uh, we'll also cover the infinity gauntlet and then also sidetrack to his appearance in Quasar because before Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet proper came out, he made a pit stop in Silver Surfer and Quasar. But again, we want to be brief, well, as brief as we can be, and the Silver Surfer comics just would take too long to go through in this. Um, I am going to introduce my co-hosts and panelists uh, in a moment here. Guys, when I bring you in, what I want you to talk about is why this is important to you, why you felt the need to do this, and why we're talking about this source material. I will go first. Uh, The Avengers and Marvel Comics as a whole have been the very center of my geekdom for as long as I can remember. My very first memory as a toddler is of reading Avengers number 166. Uh, that's where they battle Count Nefaria. Now, again, I was a toddler. I can't read it. I just remember the pictures very vividly. So that's like one of my earliest memories. In my formative years as a teen, when this came out, uh, this was teased. It was teased very heavily in Quasar, in Silver Surfer, in the Avengers that I had subscriptions to. So I knew this big event was coming, and it's really arguably the first big crossover event of its kind, with the possible exception of Secret Wars 2. Later in life, I'm getting back issues, I'm hunting down issues, because remember, I come from a world where you cannot, there were no comic book stores in my little area. I had to go to the drugstore or to a newsstand and hope they had comic books at all, let alone the ones that I was actually reading. So... This has a special place in my heart. Now, fast forward to, say, 2008, 2009, when I first start getting into podcasts. I had been podcasting yet, 
I was only listening to podcasts, and I would search out Infinity Gauntlet. I would search out Thanos. I would search out Avengers. And there's a couple of good shows out there. Um, uh, the um, uh, Gene, what is that called? Tales of Asgard that our buddy does. What's um, oh, uh, Radio Free Asgard. Radio Free Asgard's a good one. But there were no specific shows on the Infinity Gauntlet. I only found one, and it was painful. I mean, it was just horrible to listen to and all due respect to the guys that did it it's clear that only one or two of them actually cared about the source material the rest of them were just buddies that got on the air with them that night and had no idea who these ancillary characters were so today 2018 may you are going to be inundated with movie reviews and movie synopsises and easter eggs for the movie this is not that this is the source material that that movie is based on, and if you really want to know what was happening in the the Marvel Universe proper, Earth 616, this show is going to give you a nice hour or so background deep dive into that. So, without further ado, let me introduce to you Mr. Gene Hendricks, who is my Quantum Cast cohort and co-host. Gene, take it away, and then we'll go over to Chris Tyler. All right, I'll... Uh... As Adam mentioned, this this is Marvel's first really big crossover after Secret Wars 2. Now, I, I was exposed to Secret Wars 2 simply because of the, the comics I was getting. I didn't have any subscriptions at the time. It was just catch-as-catch-can. Uh, usually, my grandfather would grab a couple comic books when he would go get the, the morning paper at the, uh, the local newsstand. And, yeah, so I literally was reading newsstand comics. So I would just get these little banners in the side, uh, Secret Wars 2 crossover. As, oh, okay, there's something bigger going on. Great. Well, fast forward to the late 80s, early 90s, and that's where I'm consciously going out and looking for things. Uh, I didn't have a subscription to Quasar. I, I was getting it where I could. Uh, I definitely in, enjoyed reading the Avengers and Captain America and, and so on and so forth. So I knew that there was this cosmic thing going on. I I never read The Death of Captain Marvel, didn't know a whole lot about Thanos, except for some of his appearances here and there. But this series, you, you got a really good background on who Thanos was, where he was coming from, uh, and how he fit into everything. And it, it really helps that Jim Starlin wrote it, because he's the one that created the character. So th this was my first real big event for the Marvel Universe. It, so it was one of those things that I latched on to, and I tried to read as many Infinity Gauntlet crossovers as I could, Good luck. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah I, I never made it all the way through, but I remember I had one. I had the one of the Silver Surfer issues. I had the Quasar issue. I had uh, you know smattering of other ones, and the I didn't have the complete miniseries. I think I had like one, two, four, and five, or something like that. Uh, mm -hmm. but, you know, I was obviously able to borrow from my good friend Adam to read the rest of it. And luckily we went to Boy Scout camp, and each of us had uh, the issues that the other one couldn't find, and so we were able to cobble together a complete collection. Right. And not to, not to step on your toes, Gene, but uh, for the listeners, if you can find The Death of Captain Marvel, which is a standalone trade paperback graphic novel, 
get it. It is well, well worth whatever you can find it for if you go on eBay or something like that. But that uh, that really wraps up where I was for this this event and why I just keyed into it so much. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's great feedback, Chris Tyler. If you can give us a short, short version so we can get into this, because again, I feel like we're falling into the pacing issues that other shows have, and it's completely my fault, but unfortunately now you're going to have to make up for the time. All right, well, let's get fist in here. Uh, all right. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, much like you, Adam, um, the Marvel Universe is one of my earliest memories as well. I'm just a couple years younger than you guys, but uh, growing up, it was... <clears throat> the Spider-Man animated show, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends, and the one that was just <gasps> called Spider-Man. Yeah, that was and, good. Um, knowing those shows, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends was a fantastic primer for the Marvel Universe um, because there'd be little side things and, and secondary characters. and I mean, they, they even had the Gene Cole and Dracula in there, for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where my love of the Marvel Universe began. And it was like that my whole life. By the time that this crossover was rolling around. I was pretty much only reading uh, Spider-Man and uh, Sleepwalker. Um, so, yeah, I believe that has a crossover as well. I think I just covered it recently. Um, but, uh, yeah, this was omnipresent. You couldn't avoid this story in some form or fashion because of what it is. It touched the entire Marvel Universe at the time. So, uh yeah, going going back and thinking about it, I never actually had it. I had to borrow it as well and read it. Um, and so I don't have any copies of of my own up until up until recently. Uh, so um, yeah, that's about it. I won't delay it any longer. Let's, let's, Excellent. Let's go. All right, so now everyone knows we've established our geek cred. Hmm. Um, once again, I would like to say that it has never gotten me laid, but I am an encyclopedia of Marvel Universe and. Alternate Marvel timeline, what I'd, if scenarios? I'd sleep with you. Well, I know you would. I know you would, but you live in Boston and I live in New Jersey, and I just I don't want to drive that far because as much as I am horny, I am also lazy. Um, <laughs> my comic book my comic book collection has well over ten thousand books. It's valued at over thirty grand. Elves worth of graphic novels and trade paperbacks and big fucking bookshelves. Again. It's never gotten me laid, but it is my hobby. Some people, some dude bros, as we like to say on my show, The Bad Advice Show, shameless plug, some dude bros can rattle off sports statistics for a player that has not played in decades or might even be dead. I could relate to you what happened in the Jean Grey Phoenix saga in multiple universes in the Marvel storylines. So this is this is my mutant superpower that and being able to eat my own weight in ding dongs let's let's start with who Thanos is I wanna be the very best like no one ever was to catch them is my real test to train them is my cause I will travel across the land searching far and wide Thanos, often referred to as the Mad Titan, um, gazillions of years ago, 
the first humanoids, first proto-humans appear in human evolution. The Celestials, which if you don't know who the Celestials are, I'm going to do like a little pop-up video. Um, in Guardians of the Galaxy, the first one, the giant uh, robotic-looking dude that has one of the, uh, power, the stone. Infinity power stone, um, those are Celestials, and there's dozens and dozens of them. Well, they decide to come to Earth and muck around with the genome. From that, they create a sub-race called the Eternals. And as the name implies, they're very long-lived. They probably have super-duper powers. And they are very similar to the Greek gods. Their names are also very similar to the Greek gods. And so early humanity mistakes them for the Greek and Roman gods. At some point, there is a rift between sects of Eternals. We won't get into why, but a piece of them, a subgroup of them, decide to go off-planet. And they colonize Titan. Again, I'm trying not to spoil things from the movie, uh, but I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that they go to Thanos' home planet of Titan at some point during the movie. In the Marvel Universe, it's Titan, which is one of the moons of Saturn. They colonize that, and that is where... Mentor, the leader of those Eternals, gets married and has two children, Eros and Thanos. Thanos being the younger of the two. Now, there's a lot we could go into here, but again, we want to give the highlights so that we can move on to the story we actually want to tell. Thanos is a dark child. He has some odd bents, odd needs. Um, he does love a dog. Well, a dog-like creature. It's like purple and has six legs. But essentially, it's the family dog. Eros is his brother. And one could maybe guess from the name, Eros has emotion-manipulating power, specifically with love and desire and yada, yada, yada. So at some point, the dog gets hurt and dies. Thanos is beside himself with grief. Eros... In a, a vain attempt as a preteen to comfort his brother, starts saying, well, you know, life needs to be swept away so new can, a new life can grow, and it's part of the natural order of things, and in some ways we must love death in order to uh, embrace what's moving forward in this world. Well, as we all know from every single mutant X-Men storyline, your mutant powers manifest at the worst possible time, so Eros's love manipulation powers manifest, and bingo bango, Thanos is now in love with death, and we'll get into what that means future down the line. So, many, many years pass, Thanos becomes uh, power hungry, he has a vast intellect, he's physically powerful, he augments himself with bionics to become even more powerful. And then he goes on crusades to uh, rule, to conquer, all the while being in love with death. Uh, he also becomes a space pirate, similar to the Guardians of the Galaxy, the, um, what are they called, Reavers? Is Reaver the right word? Ravagers. Ravagers, thank you. Um, as uh, the Ravagers, um, and he keeps trying to gain ultimate power, cosmic cube. He also gathers the infinity of stones, then called the soul gems, in another bid for conquest. But Thanos has a major flaw. 
deep in his psyche, he really either doesn't want the ultimate power or doesn't feel that he is deserving of the ultimate power. And so he always subconsciously creates a flaw in his machinations that the heroes can exploit and he loses the power. Um, he, of course, dies and is brought back. And so this is where we're getting into the first uh, two book series that I want to go over, The Thanos Quest. So, Lady Death, who he loves, who he is, wants to be consort for, brings him back and informs him of an inequity in the universe. There, are, She informs him that there are more people alive now, and people, sentient beings and non-sentient beings, alive in the universe than have ever lived. And that is an inequality, that that is unacceptable to her and he, she tasks him with killing off half of the universe. That is his task. So he figures, well, that's a big job. How am I going to accomplish this? In his meditation, he goes to something called the Infinity Well. So think of this as a, a giant wishing well that you can peer into that shows you visions. I'm sure we've all seen some sci-fi or fantasy thing that's akin to this. We're not breaking any new ground here. The Infinity Well reveals to him that the Infinity, excuse me, the Soul Gems, because remember, at this point, they're still called the Soul Gems. The Soul Gems are actually vast repositories of power. Each one controls a primordial piece of reality. There's the Power Gem that powers the others. Uh, it's raw power on its own, but it can enhance the abilities of the others. Soul Gem, so giving you power over the very soul of living creatures. Mind Gem, self-explanatory. Space Gem, well, okay, teleportation, hyper-fast speed, yada, yada, yada. Reality Gem, well, this is a, a whiz-bang one because it allows you to warp and reshape reality at your will. Time Gem allows you to freeze, fast-forward, rewind time. And that is all of them, right? I hit all six of them. Um, he decides that he wants to get those because that will allow him to accomplish his task. It will also give him enough power where he will become Mistress Death's equal because he wants nothing more than to have a romantic relationship with the entity that is the physical embodiment of the abstract concept of death. Yeah. I'm going to repeat that one more time because you really got to wrap your brain mm -hmm. around this. We're talking about cosmic, I don't want to use the word deity, but cosmic entities that are unique and all-powerful, and this is one of the four siblings at the top of that pantheon. Death, that is the physical manifestation of the abstract concept of death. Think of the death. Ingmar Bergman death with tits. There you go. <laughs> death has three other siblings. Eternity, whose physical body is the universe. Infinity, which is the physical embodiment of the abstract concept of time. And Oblivion, which is the physical embodiment of the abstract concept of things that don't exist. Arguably, and there was a great Iceman miniseries, and yes, I mean Iceman from the X-Men, where Iceman becomes the avatar for Oblivion, who is arguably the most powerful of the four siblings, because for everything you could name, for every time you could um, you could catalog, there are at least ten other things that never existed. So Oblivion is everything that does that never was. So for everything that is, there's a gazillion things that never were. 
Anyways, so he decides, okay, I'm going to get this, not only to fulfill this task, to show my love and my respect and my deference to Lady Death, but it'll give me enough power where she will see me as an equal, and we can be lovers. We can have a romantic relationship, which is all he really wants. And for any dude out there listening, how many chicks in your life have you been like, man, I'm just going to do all this shit because maybe she might like me? I don't think anyone out there does not recognize themselves in that at some point in their life. Like, I just really want this chick to like me, and I'm going to do whatever it is I can do to make myself be as as appealing as possible. Now, as anyone who has ever dated will know, that is the last thing you want to do because the, the the best way, the best way to get a chick to not like you is to, one, have her parents like you, and two try real real hard and Thanos (laughs) is about to try real real hard so Thanos says the soul gems and uh, Lady Death who has brought him back to life and has augmented his already impressive powers uh, gives him permission to go after these soul gems which halfway through these this two book series he starts referring to as the Infinity Gems and starts correcting everyone in the Marvel Universe that refers to them as Soul Gems. I prefer to think of them as the Infinity Gems. Uh, so this is where we make that transition from undefined to defined. Uh, what else do I want to say? Oh, Lady Death, of course, being a monarch and being silent Grim Reaper-ish, is almost always depicted as a statuesque woman in a purple, somewhat shapely robe. Sometimes she has a skeleton skull for a head. Sometimes she's got a pretty lady face. It all depends on her mood. She never talks directly. She always has some zombie minion standing next to her that speaks for her. Very reminiscent of Black Bolt having Medusa speak for him because she does not speak for herself, but yet those words will come out of somebody else's, some other creature's mouth. Okay. So, I've got permission. As Thanos, I'm going to go. The first gem he goes after is the soul gem, which he gets from the in-betweener. In-betweener had a nice little antagonist run in the Fantastic Four. It won't go into that. That'll take a long time, but that was a a good read. Um, (laughs) Read, get it? Uh, And he is able to help the in-betweener escape the bonds uh, that he was placed in. He's in captivity at the moment, and after doing that, the in-betweener has been tricked into a position of lesser power, where he can then purely Thanos can purely steal the gem. There's a longer version of this. It's not in, it's not relevant to this story, but it's still a good read. I recommend digging this up. From there, he has the soul gem. He decides, uh, okay, what gem am I going to go after next? I am going to go after the power gem, the gem that fuels all of the other gems. Certainly they have a lot of power on their own, but the power gem just kicks it up a notch. Bam. So he go bam, he goes to a planet called Tamarata. I don't know how it's really pronounced. It doesn't matter, and you'll find out why in a minute. And this is a, a world torn by war. Five different uh, factions are constantly warring over this strategically important quote-unquote planet. And of course, who makes himself at home there but one of the elders of the galaxy, the champion. Pop-up video time. 
there are several elders of the galaxy in the Marvel Universe. What makes them an elder of the galaxy? Well, they have to be unique, meaning the last survivor of their race, and they have to be incredibly long-lived. It doesn't mean immortal, just means they live for millennia or longer, and they are unique, and so they have been bestowed great power because they're the last of their species. Champion, as the name implies, is a little bit one-dimensional. All he wants to do is fight and decide and and prove his uh, his might and conquest. Another important thing to note is each of these elders of the universe that possess the other five stones do not know what they do. They may have some idea. They may be tapping into that power on a subconscious level, but they have no idea. And of course, the more stones you have, we're multiplying effects because they play off of each other. So. Champion does not know that the power gem provides him all this power. He sometimes taps into it on a subconscious level, which makes him stronger, which is the reason why he's never been defeated. But for as far as he is concerned, and he's a dullard, you know, he's like one step above the Hulk as far as intelligence is concerned. He just thinks he's really good at fighting and very strong, and that's how he always wins. He does, he just thinks, he calls it a bauble. It never worked anyway, I think he says at one point. So, Thanos goads him into having a fight. They fighty, fighty, fighty Stein, and Thanos continues to taunt him until Champion has a temper tantrum. In that temper tantrum, he explodes the planet. The planet is no more. Champion has thinks he's won. Thanos reveals to him that, well, our fight's not over, and you can't fly in space, and you can just sit here in the rubble until a passing spaceship maybe kind of finds you at some point in the future. But they all are going to remember how much of a douchebag you are, so they're probably not going to pick you up. Well, save me, save me. You must save me. I am an honorable combatant, blah, 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 blah. Why would I do that? What good does that do for me? Well, maybe we can have a barter. Okay, I'll bring you to the nearest planet if you give me your soul gem. Ha! He throws it at him. You can have it. The darn thing never worked anyway. So now he's got the soul gem. He's now got the power gem. He tows Champion to the nearby planet, then releases him in the upper atmosphere to fall to his death on the planet below. He won't die, but he'll be banged up. Because uh, our deal was never for you to have a soft landing, just that I would bring you here. Next up is the gardener. The gardener... As the name applies, this is, you know, a 70s character, so it's a little one-dimensional. All he wants to do is tend his garden, have the most beautiful garden in the universe. Whatever. Thanos comes, has a nice civil chit-chat with him, goes on his rounds, explores the garden with him, and then the gardener says, I've been monitoring you, I know what you're here for, you can't have my soul gem, it is mine. Well, I will have to fight you for it, I really don't want to. So they end up sitting across from each other on a path in the garden on two benches that are on opposite sides, and they just sit there and they have a battle of the minds that is internal. Thanos is victorious. Why? Because he has the power gem. And why specifically is that? Is because Thanos, unbeknownst to the gardener, ratchets up the gardener's gem to a level that he can't control because he's not used to controlling it at that power and ages him exponentially so he ends up dying. And that's, of course, how the gardener had been using the time gem all this time. Waka, waka, waka. 
is he's used the time gem as a way to help his plants grow through their life cycle and then freeze them in time at their maximum beauty. So the gardener is dead, or so we believe he takes the time gem. End of book one. Book two, he calls the Collector. Now we met the Collector in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie in Nowhere, and the Collector already has possession of the Reality Gem. The reason why Thanos calls him ahead of time is out of respect. We've done business in the past. We've been allies in the past. You have something I want. I know that you know that I'm coming for you. I would rather barter than brawl. What if I can bring you something very special? Will you barter with me? If you can bring something very, very special, I will consider it. Okay, good enough. He hangs up and then waits because he re- he needs to know if the collector actually knows what he has. If he, he knows it's a soul gem, but he doesn't know what it does. He just has it sitting in a you know in a, in a glass display case, never using it because he thinks it's no more special than some polished glass. If he knew that he actually held the reality gem, Thanos would be fucked because the reality gem is arguably the most powerful of all of the gems because you can shape and reshape reality to your will. So Thanos waits, nothing, just as I expected. Despite his great power, metaphysics has never been the collector's strong suit. All goes according to plan, which means my next stop is, and he teleports to find the runner. Yet another, again, stupid name, I get it, but... You know, this is where we're transitioning from one-dimensional, maybe even two-dimensional Marvel comics to complex storylines in the late 80s, early 90s. He goes to find the runner, who the runner can run very quick, can move very quick. In fact, he says, sometimes I get places before I even know that I've left for them. Uh, So the runner, of course, runs circles around him, throws a bunch of punchy punches. Thanos is drifting in space, pretending to be defeated. The runner, of course, is cocky cannot help but gloat. While he's gloating, Thanos uses the time gem to speed up time around the runner because he's not immortal. He's just very, very long-lived. And it turns out you can't hear a word I'm saying, can you? One of the disadvantages of old age, I bet. Thanks to the power of the gardener's infinity gem, tell me, runner, how does it feel to be more than a million years old? So the runner is now incapacitated. Plunk! I'm going to take the... Uh, the space gem from the runner add that to my collection and that of course the space gem did far more than the runner ever thought yes it allowed him to move very quickly but now he can teleport he can do a whole bunch of other things he can fold space the runner's imagination just could not comprehend all the possibilities then Thanos reverts time so the runner is now a baby teleports into the collector's stronghold and says, I have that gift for you. How about one of the elders of the universe in his infant form? Certainly there's nothing rarer than an elder of the universe. To which the collector barters a little bit, says, I will accept this in exchange for that bauble. They use the word bauble a lot. Um, With one condition, that whatever your machinations are, you leave me out of it. Thanos agrees to the terms. And then, of course, gives the baby to the collector claims the reality gem 
To which he says, allow me to demonstrate a mere iota of its might. And, of course, we have a splash page where reality is being turned upside down. And the collector goes into a panic. I had it in my possession all this time. Take it away from here. Please, please. <sighs> Almost done. So, Thanos, five of the six Infinity Stones. Last one to get is the Mind Gem. Who, does that, who has that? Well, the last elder of the galaxy... The Grandmaster, who we met in Thor Ragnarok. Um, so the th uh, Grandmaster, of course, thinks he's smarter than everyone else. I don't know anything about that. And he challenges Thanos to a game of if he wins, he can have the last stone. If the Grandmaster wins, all the stones were, uh, will uh, be forfeit to the Grandmaster. And he invites him to sit at what looks to be a floating chessboard. But really, it's not a chessboard. It's a virtual reality machine where they get sucked into the Matrix and they do a little fighty-fighty. Of course, there was never any real challenge because both of them are cheating. But Thanos is cheating with five of the six Infinity Stones, so the outcome was already predetermined, although the Grandmaster never knew that. The Grandmaster essentially gets lobotomized by the machine and Thanos claims the last of the Infinity Gems, to which he gives... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven splash pages of definition of what each of the Infinity Stones do. It's a very good read. It does me no good to describe it as a splash page to you on the radio. So I will skip forward to where he teleports to Lady Death. Lady Death realizes that she's been duped, that he now has all of this power. And she becomes very, very snotty with him uh, because she still won't talk to him directly. My, mis my mistress wishes to inform you that it is what you wish that will be what it is. So she's being very snotty, very cocky. Well, you have all the power in the universe now. We'll do whatever you say. You know, it's a whole lot of fine. And anyone that's in a long-term relationship never wants to hear the word fine. <laughs> <laughs> is it the cosmic equivalent of asking if my ass looks big in these pants? Exactly right. <laughs> right. So um, Thanos goes on a temper tantrum about how he's always loved her and how he has been, uh, you know, worships at her feet and everything he's done is for her benefit. But why do you still address me through your minions? I am. Am I not your mate? Will you not talk to me directly? We have a couple of panels of silence and dirty looks, dirty stares. I'm very familiar with that. I was married for years. And then, of course, the minion that she is talking through says, My mistress wishes, with all due respect, to point out that with your newly acquired power, you are not her equal. You are her superior. In all ways, you are many stations above her. She is but a thread in the fabric that is yourself. It would be unseemly for even Mistress Death to address to that address the all-powerful Thanos directly, to which there are dirty stares between the minion that's talking to her and Thanos, and then Thanos, in a spectacularly gory fashion for the late 80s, early 90s, makes this minion explode with bloods and guts and gores all over the place. Thanos then storms out of the room. I could force her to speak to me directly. I have the power to bend even her to my will. But what good would it do? That's not the way I wanted it to be. I desire her love, 
not her blind subservience. How could I have miscalculated so badly? So, dripping with condescending snot, Mistress Death rebukes Thanos, and he storms off and has a pity party of his own. Thus concludes the Thanos quest, and I shall turn over the reins to Mr. Gene Hendricks, who has done the research on the other books we are going to cover. Alright, so we're going to jump over to Infinity Gauntlet number one. This came out 27 years ago this month. Oh my god. Don't really? you feel old? Yeah. <laughs> what year was that? 1991. Damn, man. So 1991, I would have been a sophomore in high school. Yeah. This is long before the interwebs, kids. When you went to the mall, you had to tell people, meet me by the fountain at 3 o'clock, because there were no, was no text messaging, where are you at? Alright, so this was written by Jim Starlin, who wrote the entire series. Uh, penciler uh, is the great George Perez. Inkers, Joe Rubenstein, and Tom Christopher. Letterer, Jack Morelli. Colorist, Christy Scheel and Ian Laughlin. So, issue number one opens on a barren planet where Thanos has made an enormous word, God, out of stone as Mephisto scrapes and bows to him. As Can I interrupt? <laughs> Gee, you're so professional, and I didn't give you, I didn't even take a breath during <laughs> for you guys to interrupt. Uh, in the Marvel comics, Mephisto or Mephesto, however you want to pronounce it, looks like a stereotypical devil, Satan, whatever. Uh, he is not. He is an extraplanar entity that subsists on the life force of sentient beings, i.e. souls. But he is not Satan, although many mortals have made that uh, jump to conclusion. And, of course, he does nothing to dissuade them of that opinion because it just helps him do what he wants to do better. So having him scrape and bow to Thanos shows you just how high up Thanos is right now. Correct. Correct. And, oh god, I really want to say something about the movie. Let's just say, we all know that Loki is in the movie. And I thought well, going into the movie that Loki was going to take up this role. Because ah. couldn't you see Loki, mm -hmm. you know, always whispering in Thanos' ear trying to manipulate him? And he was working for him in Avengers already. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. So I thought that's what was going to happen. Can I say any more, I ruined the movie. Okay. Thanos destroys the letters, and we switch to Doctor Strange's Sanctum, where the Silver Surfer has crashed through the skylight. The Surfer fills Strange and us in on how Thanos is back and what his mission is, to kill half of the sentient population of the universe. 
On a whim, Thanos destroys the planet he and Mephisto are on, and the Surfer on Earth continues his tale, this time retelling the capturing of the Infinity Gems for those that didn't read Thanos' quest. I think it's important to jump in. The reason why he's destroying it is because I am omnipotent now. What should I do with such almighty power? The answer to that is really quite simple. Anything I want. And then he blows up the planet to prove the as like an exclamation point on what he just talked just right. said. <laughs> we cut to another part of the Earth where a trio of not-too-bright criminals drive off a cliff to their deaths. More on that later. <laughs> Meanwhile, the surfer finishes his tale, relaying how he and Drax the Destroyer... Now, this is not the same Drax as in the movies. This is... Bit bigger, lot dumber. Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and not an alien, originally. Right. Correct, he was a human. Uh, so the surfer relates how he and Drax were defeated by Thanos and sucked into the Soul Gem, where they met Adam Warlock, who helped them return to reality. Thanos and Mephisto visit Death, who snubs the Titan again, and then we see the criminal trio come back to life, but not as they were, and slowly begin to physically change. Thanos, annoyed at Death's treatment, creates a floating monument to her in space, and brings his mutilated granddaughter, Nebula, by for a visit. Since nothing is pleasing his love, Thanos decides to complete his mission. He raises his hand, snaps his fingers, and half of the population of the universe simply disappears. We yeah. en- And it's really emotional. Like, he's trying everything to impress death. I mean, again, if you ever been, try to win the love of a woman that's just not having it, like, he builds the monument, he's, he pitches woo, uh, a little bit perverse, but he uh, he brings his granddaughter, who is his daughter in the movies, Nebula, and twists her into essentially like the Walking Dead, where she's not quite dead, she's not quite alive, but she's in constant agony. She looks like a burn victim, um, and says, "This is a monument to you, Lady Death." Blah 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 blah, um, and of course, to that, Lady Death just turns around and walks away, and he yells, "Do not turn your back to me, woman." Uh, Titan, Mistress Death, finds your boast empty and your bravado distasteful, to which he blows up another of <laughs> Lady Death's servants. And then, of course, Mephisto whispers into his ear, you know, he, she asked for a favor, and that's the one, one reason why she brought you back, and you haven't done it. And he goes, my behavior has been inexcusable. No wonder you've been angry with me. A lover should always follow through on a vow given. And he walks to the end of the platform, pauses for a moment, Mephisto says, he's really going to do it. Snap of the fingers. Half of the world's, half the universe's population disappears. The issue ends on the transforming trio, one of whom disappears, and another is encased in some sort of cocoon. Dun, dun, dun. So... I would think this is a, a fairly interesting start to the whole thing. You know, I mean, the setup issue has half the population of the universe going bye-bye. Yeah. Those are some pretty high stakes. Sure. And there's a powerful scene where Spider-Man is over uh, Central Park. Not Central Park, excuse me, Times Square. And before his eyes, half of the crowd below disappears. Um, you got uh, a kid that's like, Charlie, hey, where'd you go? And the scene that I... The scene that would have been great in the movie 
uh, is uh, a, a, a lady pushing a stroller and the stroller's empty and she's screaming, my baby, my baby, grasping her head in anguish. Um, that is a great visual that really nails down, nails to home what has just happened. Yeah, this is not our current Times Square. This is the good old Times Square. <laughs> you, everybody that's been in New York, you know, pre-1994 will know. This is right, pre-Giuliani right. Times Square. Yeah, there's a, a live nude sign there. Girls galore. They have burlesque spelled wrong on the <laughs> yeah. placard, but, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And Howard Roast Duck. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got a oh. chuckle when I read that. <laughs> nice. So, shall we move on? Yeah, oh. I'm, I'm okay. sorry. You can cut okay. me off. <laughs> Alright, now we're going to sidetrack. Because right after Infinity Gauntlet number one... We go to Quasar, number 26. Mm. And the cover of this has Thanos on on it with uh, Quasar and Moondragon metaphorically in the palm of his hand. And Moondragon, for those of you that don't know, in the comics is Drax the Destroyer's daughter. So in the movies, every time Drax refers to his daughter... In the comics, it's this character who he thought was dead and now grew up to be this very powerful woman who has a completely shaved head and is essentially wearing a... What do they call that? A, a one-piece bikini? A monokini. A monokini. Yeah. And that's all she's wearing. And she has no hair. She's shaved completely... <laughs> I imagine she's completely shaved elsewhere. Hmm. But that's all she wears as her superhero costume, which I, as a teenage boy, did not mind. He's <laughs> a grown man. I don't mind. So this, the title of this is the Eight Billion Year Funeral. Now I'm just going to give a quick overview of this. Uh, previous to th- this issue, there was a multi-part uh, story in Quasar where the enemy that he was appointed protector of the universe to defeat showed up, ended up cutting off Quasar's hands to get to the Quantum Bands, leaving him alive, (laughs) tortured up on the wall, as uh, Maelstrom, who is the villain's name, went to find Eon, Quasar's mentor, to obtain cosmic awareness. Now, Quasar eventually is killed. Uh, He begs Death Urge, who we saw back in issue number two, to kill him. Uh, On Uranus. That... And there it is. <laughs> and Quasar eventually becomes a essentially a quantum being. Reclaim, you know, defeats Maelstrom by killing Eon. He aims a blast where Eon tells him at the center of his brain, which gives Quasar the co- cosmic awareness. Defeats Maelstrom, gets a snazzy new outfit, and this is where this issue opens. Uh, Quasar returning to Earth with Makari of the Eternals and Moondragon. And they they come back to Quasar's office in Four Freedoms Plaza where his employees are waiting for him. They show up. Moondragon gets all pissy about, I'm the perfect woman for you. Why don't you love me? See Adam's uh, thing about the worst thing you can do is to for- try and force some- someone to like you. 
Yeah, because seriously, why wouldn't he want to be with Moondragon? The only reason why he doesn't want to be with Moondragon is because Moondragon was too forward about it. She just came on too strong. Uh, while I'm interrupting, let's, let's ah. just do a little bit of back, uh, a little bit of backstory. Um, Eon is the second oldest being in the universe. Oh, well, I guess third technically. Uh, Eon is a sentient quasi-physical entity um, who was almost as old as the universe itself. Eons was one of the first, uh, among the first sentient entities formed in the wake of the Big Bang. Um, he is a cosmic custodian, and he not only is he a time being, but he is also charged with the cultivation and protection of sentient life in the universe. So, if Thanos the Mad Titan is in love with death and wants to kill off half the universe, guess who, you know, Guess who, like, one of the big adversaries of that would be? It would be Eon. Now, Eon's already dead as of the last issue. Just, you know, because Quasar had to kill him right after Quasar died for the first of, like, what, six times in his own run? <laughs> Quasar is notorious for dying and coming back in his own comic. Anyway, so okay. you're uh, you're doing the Quasar bit. Yeah, so Quasar goes to the Eonverse, where there's a portal in his office, to visit his mentor's body to try and figure out, okay, what do I do now? He senses a presence there, and turns out that there's this religious sect called the Mourners. Anytime a great being dies, they come to perform the funeral rites. Quasar says, oh, great, you're the professionals, you do it, no problem. Meanwhile, we go over to Thanos and Mephisto. Uh, Mephisto is sitting on Death's throne in the uh, on the monument, and hey, Thanos is having a good time. He he just he realizes that one of his greatest enemies is dead, and he didn't have to do a damn thing. Mm -hmm. But there's still something that he has to deal with. We cut over to Moon Dragon, who's pouting and decides, "Ah, screw this, I'm leaving." Uh. Quasar visits his mom, his mom because he's a good boy. He always visits his mom. All good boys visit their moms. <laughs> Three days later, Quasar shows up for the funeral. Nice affair. Uh, there are some pretty high muckety-mucks here. We have uh, Lord, Lord Order, Master Chaos, the Inbetweener, and even the Living Tribunal is in attendance. So... Uh, Quasar takes a seat, doesn't really, you know, pay too much attention, but he's thinking, you know, maybe I'm not an atheist after all. Maybe I just haven't found the right religion. As he's thinking this, Thanos shows up, expresses his uh, condolences, and Quasar tries to protect everyone and attacks Thanos. <laughs> doesn't really go so well, uh... To the point where he gets the heaviest quantum construct he can think of, drops it on Thanos' head, and Thanos just makes it blow up. Mm -hmm. We cut to her, and that's a, her the actual name, her, uh, going to Doctor Strange's sanctum, uh, meeting the Silver Surfer and saying, hey, you know, my perfect mate's inside, let me in, Surfer says, unless you want to fight, scram. Right, because at this point they're planning how they're going to defeat Thanos. They don't know Thanos is on Earth uh, at this exact moment, and this is after uh, Silver Surfer crashes through uh, Doctor Strange's ceiling, 
uh, which is that that particular scene is played out by another character in the movie. By the way, her is the female equivalent of Adam Warlock. And for those of you that have only watched the movies, during the end credit scene of the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie, uh, there's a gold lady. The gold lady queen creates a new birthing pod. That birthing pod looks exactly like the cocoon that Adam Warlock first appears, uh, emerges from in his first appearance. So we're led to believe that Adam Warlock may make an appearance sometime between now and the second Avengers movie. Let's hope. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> All right, so back in the Eonverse, uh, Quasar has some fancy uh, brass knuckles that he's trying to beat Thanos with. Thanos gets kind of ticked off at this, grows to giant size, and Quasar says, well, how about a hundred megaton blast between the ears? Don't work. (laughs) But Thanos is getting kind of bored, so he says, okay, let's... I got other things to deal with. I'm going to leave you with some playmates. And he creates, out of Eon's body, four previous Quantum Band wielders. And his uh, his line is, One, perhaps two of these gladiators you might be able to best. But all four of them? Not a chance. And as this is happening, Eon's um, remains end up pushing out of all the portals that have ever gone to the Eonverse... Which means Four Freedoms Plaza looks like it's got green dreadlocks. <laughs> yeah, it's just a whole lot of Play-Doh Fun Factory coming out. So this is um, this actually reminds me of the Guardians of the Galaxy 2 when uh, Ego's living plant starts engulfing the area around it. That's pretty much what you're seeing here. Right. So that's... Thanos' sidetrack into Quasar, but you, you see how how important Quasar is in Thanos' mind, anyway. It's like, okay, Eon's gone, but we got this other guy who's got cosmic awareness. He's got the most powerful weapons in the universe. We gotta take care of him. So he, sure. And he has to create four other quantum band wielders complete with quantum bands of their own to try and take him out. And the next issue shows that uh, because he's a hero and can think on his feet, Quasar gets away from him. But we will not be covering that because that's not an official Infinity Gauntlet tie-in. Yeah, it doesn't have a little dog ear that says that. Right. (laughs) So Uh, are we uh, to Infinity Gauntlet number two? Yep. Let not... What, nihilism reigns supreme? Yeah, so Infinity Gauntlet number two. Uh, this one is, like I said, written by Jim Starlin, pencil George Perez, inker Joe Rubenstein, letter Jack Morelli, and colorist Christy Shield. So, issue number two opens with a series of vignettes showing the results of Thanos' actions. Thor, She-Hulk, and Vision deal with a plane crash. Quasar and his mentor, question marks, head into space for a meeting. Kree Captain DC prepares for a war with the Skull Scrolls. Doctor Strange, who has called in Hank Pym, of all people, to look at the surfer, gets his astral self pulled into a conversation with a mysterious being, who has Strange's trust by the end. 
Doctor Doom traces the surfer's whereabouts. Star Fox, aka Eros, Drax, and Fire Lord try to figure out what's happening when Star Fox is transported to Thanos' side. Eros, taking it all in, realizes just how much trouble he's really in. He attempts to use his emotion-altering powers on Thanos, but his brother simply removes Star Fox's mouth. When, while Captain America tries to assess the situation, in Asgard, Odin has called all of the other Sky Fathers together for a conference. Meanwhile, Quasar waits in, in space with uh, Eon. We will use that name, not what's in the book. Right. <laughs> Sky Fathers, of course, refers to Zeus and other uh, sky gods of different pantheons, because in the Marvel Universe, all of those different pantheons exist, and so they've all come to Asgard to create a plan of attack. I think it's also important to note that there's some throwaway pages in here that uh, creates the atmosphere, like they're dealing with a downed airplane uh, that careened into New York because the pilot and the co-pilot both disappeared during the Great Disappearance. Half of the heroes uh, that we would normally see have all disappeared, and so they're really playing heavy that, hey, half of the planet is gone. Yes, including... Um... Uh, Hawkeye and Cersei of the Avengers. Yeah, most of the X-Men except for Cyclops are gone. Most of the Fantastic... Actually, all the Fantastic Four are gone. Yeah. Uh, Daredevil, uh, Dagger but not Cloak, so on and so forth. Right. So, uh, Pip the Troll discovers that the Cocoon in the next room has opened and its occupant has gone after Thanos. The surfer awakens in Doctor Strange's sanctum to see Doctor Doom, who wants hit the power that he detected. Doom is interrupted by Adam Warlock and Pip showing up. Warlock explains he has a plan, while Thanos is amusing himself torturing his brother and granddaughter. Since death is still ignoring him, he throws a tantrum, which is manifested in reality as a psychic wave. The wave destroys everything in its path, and Galactus calculates that it dissipates to only 2% of its power when it reaches the Earth. This causes major cataclysms across the globe, and even hits Asgard, severing the Rainbow Bridge and trapping the Sky Fathers away from reality. Can I pause you there real quick? Go for it. When he's torturing Eros, he is turning him into a bunch of cubes. When he is torturing Nebula, he is unwrapping her almost like a ribbon in in curls. That's imagery that might be worth remembering. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, he says, is this improvisation more to your liking, my love? What? What does it take to please you? I have given you every, wi- given you every wish and the universe to boot, yet still you deny me even the slightest of smiles. I strive only for your affection and approval. I would do anything to just once hear you speak my name aloud. Anything! And of course, that temper tantrum is what creates that psychic wave. It hits the Earth at only 2% of its power, many, many, many light years away. And Gene, you are going to describe that aftermath? Yes. uh, New York City is in shambles. A lot of buildings have crumbled. Iron Man, who is on the edge of space doing some readings, uh, gets hit and is knocked back, and 
as he recovers, he notices that the entire west coast of the United States has fallen into the Pacific Ocean. He meets up with a couple other West Coast Avengers, uh, Wonder Man, Scarlet Witch, the original Human Torch, and they, they just realize that they could not have done anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Namor, Jim, go ahead. The original Human Torch's name is Jim Hammond, mm-hmm. and... Uh, you see his android body in the original Captain America movie on yeah. display at the World Fair, and then one of the army bases is called Camp Hammond after the original Human Torch. Another character going back to the Golden Age, the Submariner, realizes that there are volcanoes forming in the Atlantic Ocean, and that a tidal wave will be now be heading towards America's east coast. He'll also be hanging towards Europe's west coast, but he doesn't give a damn about that. (laughs) (laughs) In Atlantic City, New Jersey, Namorita, uh, Namor's cousin, is flying over on her little ankle wings and is able to save a couple on the boardwalk, but the rest of the city is swept away by the tidal wave in question. And Thor has... This is the Eric Masterson Thor, by the way, who is trying his best this entire time to pretend he is the original Thor. But he has flown over Japan to find out what was going on, and all of the Japanese islands are gone. And you know what? I want to make draw special attention to this, because you know when you're reading a book and your willing suspension of disbelief is in full force, and then all of a sudden you have to like <gasps> pull yourself out of it and realize okay that's not real i just read that you know almost like never ending story <laughs> you know when you realize that okay you just read something it wasn't real because you were so engrossed in the storyline this was the first reading this again as a 16 year old kid plus or minus that's the first time i ever experienced that where i was so engrossed in the storyline that my little brain could not tell the difference between what was reality and what I was reading, and then I had to take one of those <gasps> moments where I pull back from the book and, okay, I just read that. That was just that was that was in the book. That wasn't mm-hmm. real. Yeah, it's intense. Starlin is really good about building everything up, and I mean, you can't beat Perez's artwork on this. No. Uh, so back in Avengers headquarters, uh, Cap is talking to Nick Fury while the, the remaining Avengers are trying to figure out who's left, what's going on, and basically they realize everything is going to hell and there's nothing they can do about it. Mm-hmm. At the end, Adam Warlock tells everyone, I have a plan, we can deal with this. It's a good thing so many of those uh, super powerful people were uh, not part of the 50% that got wiped out. Yeah. <laughs> Although, we that that's the thing about the Marvel Universe, is they have this huge amount of superheroes populating it that half of them getting wiped out, there's still a huge amount of power left. That's very true. Alright, on to issue number three? On to number three. Okay, Call to Arms. How long have we been recording for? Uh, about an hour. Okay, so we can wrap this up. We're only, we're almost done, honestly. Yeah. Uh, issue number three, same creative people, so I'm not going to go into it again. Issue number three has uh, Thanos spell his name out 
over the death monument in, in using inhabited planets. Because <laughs> that's the kind of guy he is. That's right. <laughs> a continues to torture his brother. On Earth, a S.H.I.E.L.D. scientist has realized that the Earth has been knocked out of its orbit and is moving away from the sun. Cue the Twilight Zone music. Adam Warlock gathers an army of heroes, and others try to deal with the world as crumbling around them, such as the Black Widow trying to save as many people as she can. Right, so they're doing a good job of trying to recreate that oh my god moment that we all that you know that you experience with half of the universe half of the universe dying and all of the turmoil that would be thrown that the world would be thrown into and then you add essentially the entire world getting knocked off of its axis and all the 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 rubble from that so they're trying to really push home the this death and destruction that all of these people are dealing with at this time. I mean, this is truly Armageddon. Uh, and ramping it up even further, Adam Warlock um, and the Silver Surfer go to meet up with Quasar and Eon, as well as many other cosmic ent- entities. Warlock convinces all of them, with the exception of the Living Tribunal, uh, but including Galactus, to fight on his side. Yeah, so we have the Watcher, uh, who does not decide decides he's not going to fight because he watches. But we have he Eternity. likes to watch. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have Eternity, who I mentioned earlier. We have uh, Lord Chaos, Master or um, Master Oral, Master <laughs> Order, uh, the powerful and enigmatic Stranger, the, the mysterious embodiments of love and hate. We've got the Celestials. We've got Galactus. And we've got Kronos, the Titan God of Time. So that's that's your heavy hitters, really. Yeah. And they all agree to fight using Adam Warlock's plan. Back on Earth, the Vision tells She-Hulk that no one has ever defeated Thanos without the Mad Titan helping them. Doesn't fill her with confidence. It's important to note that this is the version of the Vision where he had been disassembled and then reconstructed, but part of his humanity was lost during that issue, uh, that time. So he's more robot than anything else. And because he's a robot and doesn't see the need for uh, flamboyancy, he decides to be like his namesake, a Vision. So he's all white and gray. There's no color to his costume yeah, or he's space. Yeah, kind of a prick now. <laughs> He's he's essentially Spock, you know. He's, he's yeah. emotionless. He's not Data. He's not trying to be human. He's just uh, emotions. They're pointless. Let me just get on with my job. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, again, not to spoil anything, but if you've seen the movie, hmm. maybe maybe there was something that alluded to that in the movie. Mm. All right, as. Uh... Iron Man and Doom start a fight in the next room. Warlock, the Surfer, and Quasar appear while the Watcher shows up at Thanos' location. Warlock invites the Hulk and Wolverine... Or, I'm sorry. Warlock convinces the Hulk and Wolverine to kill Thanos should the opportunity present itself. Thanos, yet again spurned by death, decides to create a perfect woman, a female version of himself called Taraxia. 
Because that'll she, work. Yeah. No, and, she, she's fine. <laughs> and, her touch is warm and her devotion to me total. She yeah. is the balm to soothe the ache within my heart. I no longer have any need of you. And, of course, Death turns and walks away, and Thanos just glowers and gets madder and madder and madder <laughs> because he's trying to make her jealous by dating someone else, and it's not working. <laughs> it's, it, every time I think... look at a... That? Every time I look at a panel of, of Death when she's looking fine, it's like, well, Prez really didn't have to do anything except copy copy Raven from Teen Titans. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very true. But... I mean, come on, guys. We all have a woman, or have had a woman in our life at some point that just drives you fucking crazy. <laughs> like, yeah, I totally can't, can't get right. Can't, I mean, you can relate to this character. Like, motherfucker, <laughs> I am doing everything right. Why won't you be nice to me? Hashtag Thanos was right. <laughs> uh, the issue... <laughs> Hashtag I'm with him. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the issue ends with the army of heroes ready and transported to Thanos' location. Next, conflict on the far side of the galaxy. So, splash page, splash page, splash page. And it's awesome. Go find this and read it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Moving on to issue number four. It's Thanos on a field of stars and planets with the middle finger, not middle finger, index finger pointed up and saying, come get me. All right, and this one, again, writer Jim Starlin, pencilers Ron Lim and George Perez, inkers Joseph Rubenstein, Bruce Solotoff, letterer Jack Morelli, colorist Christy Shield, and Ian Laughlin. So, this is, this issue is essentially one huge battle. And it starts out as completely hopeless for the heroes, as Thanos knows, knows all of their moves and basically just stops time and sidesteps them. He does another snap of the finger and stops time and then walks around their frozen bodies and gloats. And energy beams and everything, and Mjolnir just hanging there in the air. It's, he, he is having a good time here. He does leave Taraxia, Mephisto, Death, and Eros all unfrozen from time and the reason is what good is being omnipotent if other people can't see you and all of your being glory omnipotent. Right. <laughs> so while, while he's walking around here and noticing that oh the surfer and Adam Warlock are about a light year that away Mephisto convinces him to seal off the sensory input from the Infinity Gems which would give the heroes a 0.05% chance of victory. Yeah, and it's really, I mean, it's really the little devil on your shoulder scenario because they have several panels where Mephisto is all creepy and real close and whispering right in his ear. You have power without limit, yet still you failed to win Mistress Death's heart. These buffoons may prove useful in changing that situation. How so? Courage, my liege. All female hearts, even one as cold as death's, may be warmed by the sight of raw courage. Courage such as exhibited in battle. But such bravery only exists when one faces the prospect of defeat. Meeting the standard 
Uh, meeting that standard would require balancing the terms of battle so that these fools stood a chance of victory. Something not beyond your ability to arrange, I gather. And of course, Thanos falls for a hook, line, and sinker because I just want Lady Death to love me! <laughs> and of course, Eros is... Um, you know, wondering what side Mephisto is on because he clearly sees through the ruse, but Thanos does not. So, with this handicap in place, snap, the battle recommences, and even though he's caught unawares a couple times, Thanos still wipes the floor with a lot of them. Uh, yes. Do we want to talk about the spectacular deaths? Because it's really, really cool. And it's kept PG because this was written in a different time where we uh, blood and gore in comics was was very much frowned upon. Uh, Namor and She-Hulk both get slapped on the, um, the upper chest area where a fungus begins to grow and then engulfs them both, which presumably kills them. Uh, let's see, more fight, more fight. Uh, Doctor Doom, so... Thor is coming in for a killing shot when Doctor Doom gets in the way to try and steal the glove. Yeah. So, you know, Doctor Doom being selfish, getting in the way, preventing the heroes from winning. How familiar is that? Uh, let's see. Am I uh, stepping on your toes here, Gene? No, go right ahead. So, Thor again renews the attack, throws his hammer. Thanos just opens a portal. The hammer goes through the portal. We don't know where it is. It's very far away, uh, presumably several light years away. Uh, I'm reminded of the second Thor movie when Mjolnir is traveling through space in different portals to try and find his way back to Thor, but it takes forever because it's very far away. Uh, of course, at this time, Eric Masterson, who is a, a human... What, what's the word? Imbued. Thor, imbued with Thor's powers, only has 60 seconds he doesn't get the... There's a time limit. If he doesn't get the hammer back in 60 seconds, he reverts to human form. Uh, Wolverine finds an opening, launches in, sticks all six of his claws right in the uh, Titan's chest. But, of course, the Titan wills his bones and, therefore, claws to rubber, and he collapses in just a heap and a mess, and it looks very, very painful. Yeah. Uh, Silver Surfer argues with Adam Warlock as to I should be in the fight no you shouldn't you know the game is still playing what you think this is a game well I have to think it's a game otherwise I'm going to I, w I couldn't go on uh, let's see Scarlet Witch and Cyclops from the X-Men both shooting energy blasts Thanos easily uh, takes Cyclops' blast on the shoulder no harm no foul he then I-beams Wanda to death. Uh, meanwhile, Cyclops cuts off his beam, making Thanos lurch forward. Iron Man comes in for a kill, where Taraxia blindsides him and ends up ripping off his head, and we see his head bounce to the side. Then Thanos puts a crystal box around Cyclops' head. No amount of optic blast can... Uh, can uh, rupture it. Captain America comes in and starts hammering on it with a shield to try and break the crystal. No dice. Cyclops suffocates. Thanos then walks over to the Vision and puts his hand through the Vision's chest and rips out some circuits, presumably killing him. Thor reverts to Eric Masterson. 
starts to suffocate. Then Cloak comes out of nowhere, engulfs him, tries to hold him, hold Thanos. Thanos exerts some energy. Cloak is now shredded to ribbons, quite literally, because Cloak's body is just a cloak. More fighty, 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 but sometimes some souls never know when a clause is lost. Quote unquote, Thor's hammer returns. Eric, just before dying from asphyxiation, grabs it, becomes Thor again. To which Thanos dumps Drax the Destroyer and Fire Lord into Earth's prehistoric past. We see some dinosaurs. Taraxia is playing with Iron Man's. Well, it looks like it's just the helmet, but there's little drippy drip things coming out of the bottom of it. So one could think that that's lubricant, or one could assume that yeah, Tony's head, head. Yeah, Tony's Ooh. head is still in there and dripping. Uh, oh, spider webs to the face. More fighty, fighty, fighty. And to which Thor, uh, Thanos turns Thor into glass. In the background, we see Taraxia clocking Spider-Man and then raises a bloody heart-shaped object that's just not the right color because of shadows, but it seems as though Taraxia has ripped out Peter Parker's heart. Well, no, that's that's the rock she beat his head in with. Yeah. If you look in the panel to the left of that, she's got something in her left hand that she smacks him in the head. Oh, well, that's disappointing because all mm-hmm. these years I thought that was his heart. Spidey's not uh, bigger than that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nova from the Nova Corps, who we'll see in a future movie. Uh, Nova Corps, uh, Xandar from the Guardians of the Galaxy's uh, first movie. Um, they're intergalactic police, much like the Green Lantern Corps, but sans the rings. Um, Go comes in for an attack, to which Thanos just turns him into child's blocks, toys, and then steps on them and crushes them and then proceeds to shatter the once mighty god of thunder, Thor, who has been turned into glass. Quasar goes to confront him. I'm the wielder of the quantum bands. They shall prove your downfall. To which Thanos removes the quantum bands and all of Quasar's forearms. To which Quasar responds, not again. (laughs) Quasar will now be played by John Hurt. <laughs> well, he can't now. Oh, true. <laughs> to which we take a eagle's eye view of the battlefield, and we see our fallen heroes: a decapitated Iron Man, uh, Cyclops's limp body with the, the glass crystalline structure still around his head, a uh, spaghettified <laughs> Wolverine, a really limp a- Wolverine, <laughs> <laughs> and then Captain America steps up. Gene, I feel like I stole your thunder, so I'm going to step aside and let you continue on with this since you're the one that prepared it. All right, Captain America is the only one left, and true to form, stands up to Thanos. As Thanos raises his arm to strike the final blow, Adam Warlock sends the Silver Surfer in to grab the Infinity Gauntlet. The Surfer misses. And Thanos destroys, like literally cracks into a gazillion pieces that indestructible shield of Captain America's. So Cap is killed with a a quick backhand, and the cosmic entities arrive. Because Warlock's plan has failed. Well, the easy way has failed. Now we gotta do it the hard way. (laughs) Right, the easy way was Silver Surfer flying in in a moment of distraction and stealing the gauntlet. 
but he misses. So, next issue. <laughs> next issue, unless one of you guys wants to jump in. No, no, it's, this is so good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the next issue. Issue number five, writer Jim Starl and penciler Ron Lim, inker Joe Rubenstein, letter Jack Morelli, colorist Ian Laughlin, and Christy Scheel. We open with a battle that rends reality apart. As Thanos and the cosmic beings fight, Annihilus invades a now snow-covered Earth from the negative zone, and the Silver Surfer and Adam War Warlock race to a safe distance. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of splash pages with a whole lot of cosmic battle where they describe it, but all you're seeing is swirling pinks and purples and yellows because of the raw, you know, deity level energies that are being released. And of course, Mephisto takes this opportunity to taunt mouthless, still mouthless and chained up Eros. I fancy your brother is about to put on quite a show for us, young Eros. With such grand forces aligned against him, Thanos will unleash the full fury of his power. Still, the outcome of this uh, battle yet remains uncertain. There will be no time to worry about or energy to be wasted on non-essential priorities such as this monument or relatives. I doubt you'll last more than a few microseconds in the coming conflict, but it should be a quick death. Of course, Lord Thanos has the power to rebuild his love monument afterwards. He'll make it as good as new. Perhaps he'll do the same for you. Just look at the marvelous job he did on Nebula. <laughs> Remember, Nebula is walking around as a semi-mindless corpse that is burned beyond recognition and just to prove uh, the torture and suffering that he could bestow on anybody. Alright, each of the abstract entities attacks in turn, and they are defeated. Then Mephisto shows his true colors, and tries to take the gauntlet for himself. As Thanos is about to strangle the demon, he is saved by death. At, as he's confused and hurt, all the entities attack at once, which enables Thanos to defeat and imprison them. Yeah, and it's, it's spectacular. One-on-one -on -one attack, the uh, Celestials use full planets as projectile weapons. <laughs> Never mind. It's, uh, the fact that some of these worlds are inhabited by sentient life cannot be considered uh, cannot be a consideration in this galaxy-spanning contest. Um, uh, Kronos... Um, but a second later, it becomes apparent that their sacrifice was but a ploy, a diversionary tactic. For the true thrust of the assault comes from Kronos, who seeks to bury the Titan deep within layers of time long forgotten. A futile hope, for one of the Infinity Gems on Thanos' gauntlet gives him mastery over that which seeks to overwhelm him. It is like striving to drown an ocean. Then, of course, Master Order and uh, Lord Chaos attack at the same time as do uh, love and hate and then Galactus the stranger and Eon blitzkrieg together none of that works and as you say when Th when Mephisto strikes to try and steal the gauntlet at a surprise moment Lady Death protects him making Thanos go even madder so Thanos has managed to imprison now all of these cosmic entities. And basically says that he is supreme and 
the watcher is watching as usual. <laughs> <laughs> but just as he declares his supremacy, there's one last combatant, and that is Eternity. You, uh, Eternity says, to reclaim that which is mine and my mine and myself, control of this reality. So, Thanos saying Eternity battle, and it is basically what we see is this huge swirling white light. Mm-hmm. And not knowing who prevailed, really, the the surfer and warlock beat feet back to Doctor Strange, where they prepare for the next move. Thanos, having defeated Eternity and proven his superiority to everybody, abandons his body to be at one with the universe. So normally Eternity is uh, drawn as a semi-translucent uh, being uh, with fuzzy borders uh, and star field and planets inside of his body. So he's there and not really there, and Thanos is taking up a similar position where you only can see half of his face and part of that's translucent, and the rest of it is completely blank with an outline. And he is just the spirit in the sky right now because he is... <laughs> He is one with the universe, and the universe is him. Now, this move allows the broken and battered Nebula the chance to steal the Infinity Gauntlet, healing herself and becoming supreme in the process. Doctor Strange transports the now-defeated Thanos to his location and recovers Thor, Fire Lord, Drax the Hulk, and Doctor Doom from their fates. The group now attacks Nebula, and the issue ends with Thanos... Strange, the Surfer, and Warlock confronting her. Correct. And as we said earlier, Thanos, he can get ultimate power, but he can't keep it. And the only reason why he can't keep it is because subconsciously he doesn't believe that he deserves it, nor does he truly want it. So he always, on a subconscious level, leaves the back door open just enough and is surprised every time. And when uh, Adam Warlock is confronting him to get him to work with him, he says, um, Athena says, And what if I uh, withheld this aid? What benefit do I reap from Nebula's defeat? Adam Warlock, the truth? What truth? About yourself. You have some special insight into this matter? Yes, I was part of the soul gem while you possessed it, which permitted me access to your inner heart. I know you as no other being in the universe does, better than you even know yourself. Look back into your life, Thanos of Titan, and what do you see? A man always seeking unlimited power and losing it as soon as you attain it. Why? Because deep in your soul, you know you are not worthy of it. Three times you have triumphed over incredible odds to gain the ends of your desire, and three times you have subconsciously supplied the means to your own defeat. You let Nebula wrest the Infinity Gems from you just as you allowed Captain Marvel to shatter the Cosmic Cube. Thanos, taken aback, says, No, it was a mistake. Even God's error. I didn't. I... I... I will aid you. Everyone right. have chills now? <laughs> I do have chills. All right. I'm uh, a good narrator. I'm a yeah. good, good narrator. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Excellent narrator. Excellent narrator. All right. On to issue number six, the final confrontation. 
Agents yeah. of Shield is on at nine. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Agents <laughs> of Shield. Nine. Yeah, gotta watch Wapner. Yeah. All right. Creative team on this one is <laughs> the same as the on issue number five, so we will skip that. This is episode six, issue six, the yep. end of this particular saga. Right. So, the opening of this issue has us learning that Adam Warlock is apparently invisible to Nebula. As Warlock observes what's going on, Thanos tricks her into putting everything back as it was 24 hours ago. Everyone and everything is restored, including Nebula's ravaged state. Thanos gloats a little too quickly, though, as Nebula, still possessing the Infinity Gauntlet, restores herself. Warlock tries to grab the gauntlet, and is knocked off, his body is knocked off the asteroid they stand on while a blast hits the Silver Surfer. Hey, quick correction, because I read that incorrectly, and it okay. wasn't until I read this for like the 20th <laughs> quite literally the 20th time uh, over the weekend before I went to see the movie. He is not trying to grab the gauntlet. He is trying to become one with a soul gem again, and the only way he can do that is by making physical contact. Oh, okay. So he's not grabbing it at this point. He's trying to re-enter Soul World, which is in the Soul Gem. All right. Okay. Well, that's... You know, now that I'm looking at it, that, yeah, it makes sense. But and for, for, for 30 years, 20 yeah. years, however long, I thought that it was trying to grab it. But uh, as we read on, we'll see. So anyway, sorry about that. I hope that what didn't come off as... Uh, as no, no, that's uh, fine. So as Adam hits the soul gem, a blast also hits the silver surfer, and he is not either unconscious or dead. We doesn't really we just say. Don't know. Yeah. Uh, at this point, because it's same as it was before, the cosmic entities who are now free show up and battle is joined. And they attack in mass. Yes. Meanwhile, Warlock and the Surfer are in the Soul Gem. They link themselves my mind to your mind, your thoughts to my thoughts. <laughs> and Warlock then takes over the Soul Gem as Nebula is fighting the Cosmic Entities and winning. He explains that his power is strongest here and he needs to be in the in Soul World to be able to affect the Soul Gem, but he needs Silver Surfer there with him to act as an anchor, otherwise he might get lost in the void, because he's got to expand his consciousness to affect the entire gem. And of course, they illustrate that by having him uh, do the old uh, Hank Pym, you know, <laughs> I'm going to become 20, 30, 50 feet tall, and he starts expanding, 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 until he too becomes semi-transparent, where it's just his outline and a star field behind him. Alright, back on Earth, Gamora is reunited with Pip the Troll through the Iron Man taxi service. Mm-hmm. Warlock, who is now in full control of the Soul Gem, take, attempts to take control of the other five as Nebula gloats over the defeated cosmic beings and turns them into a statue not unlike seen at the en end of uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. Yes, unless, but, you know, if they were all twisted and contorted in the most right. horrific way possible. Yeah. And, of course, Adam, you know, in a disembodied voice says, From the one, I reach out to the five. So, Nebula 
Sorry. Lost my place here. Uh, ah, okay. Nebula gloats over the defeated cosmic beings, and as Warlock takes control of the other gems, a power backlash hits her, and she drops the Infinity Gauntlet. Let there be disharmony. Which is interesting that it's... Uh, Thanos starts it, and then Warlock finishes that sentence. So, the he's Thanos is obviously in on the plan and knows exactly what's going on. But it's like the the two of them are of one mind right now. Agreed. So at this point, uh, Doctor Strange summons Thor, Drax, the Hulk, and Star Fox, and everyone dives for the dropped gauntlet. But it is... And just a quick point, Star Fox and Eros are the same yeah. person. And again, this is a D-list character, so most people don't know that. We want to make sure that they do. Yeah. And <laughs> Thanos' brother. Right. Older brother. Older brother. So, it's a mad scrum for the gauntlet, but it is Adam Warlock who appears with the gauntlet on his hand. After a brief standoff... Drax and the Hulk attack Thanos, who activates a nuclear device on his belt. Thor throws Mjolnir, and it carries Thanos to a safe distance, where he go kablooey. And of course, the others say, what right does Adam have to the gauntlet? And, ga and very glibly, Adam Warlock says, the right of possession, that is enough. The infinite <laughs> power is now Adam Warlock's. Seek not to dispute that claim. I promise to use it wisely. So... After all this, Warlock sends everyone home and summons Gamora and Pip to him. Using the Time Gem, the trio jump 60 days into the future and finds a perfectly healthy Thanos on a distant planet. He's become a farmer and is content that Adam Warlock must now bear the burden of infinite power and responsibility. The End. Yeah, that's a really emotional scene. And there's a couple of points I want to back up to because it's it's just such good writing. Um, go forth and tell the masses that Adam Warlock is a god who can be trusted. I, and then Strange says, I'm not so uh, sure that, that, that I can say that truthfully. That power corrupts is a truism that cannot be ignored. And then Adam says, you fear a more cosmic depot? Surely you must realize that even before Thanos you lived under such tyranny. And then, of course, Thor says, but it was a benign rain, uh, random and unfocused. Adam replies, and now that it is calculating, you find this unsettling? Afraid replacing your usual chaos with order might prove unpalatable? Of course, nobody has a good answer for that. <laughs> and, uh, oh, I, I, I love this part, this one. Here. Um, it says, uh, I begin a journey mapped out amidst the stars, blah, 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 blah. 60 days in the future, impossible. So what are we doing here? Visiting, uh, uh, paying a visit. Um, uh, to who and to why? Why? Because it's what I always do after becoming God. <laughs> always? Time is a repeating loop for me now. They go to visit Thanos, and Adam actually is... Now Adam Warlock is the holder of the Infinity Gauntlet and asks Thanos for advice. And Thanos says, you have power, you either... Uh, relinquish it, or you figure out what you're going to do with it. 
Um, anyway, and then Thanos, you know, cracks a smile, and not like a like a smirky, nasty smile, just like a genuine "Hey, I'm at peace" smile. And he sits on his front porch and looks out over his fields of grain, which I thought was kind of a nice ending. Like he finally found some peace. Yeah, he he's he has achieved his life's ultimate goal, uh, power over everything. Realized that it didn't make him happy, and has found this simple existence is actually contentment for him. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, a nice ending. I would say someone you don't necessarily want to have a nice ending. No, but, but I mean the easy thing is to just have him be blown up, right? What you know, and then that's yeah. Well, whatever. Is he going to come back and reconstitute himself again? This is an ending for a, a horrible person. And let's be honest, even though his mind got messed with when he was a kid, and uh, you know, there's more on his backstory too. He's still not a good guy. No, <laughs> it's just you can kind of you can try to justify it if you want, but he's the last person who should have ultimate power. Yeah, there there is a Thanos mini series uh, that came out in I got I want to say five or six years ago that like you can't unread. Like you some you know some things you read and you're like wow that's fucked up, and then you just can't put it out of your head. Um, and it's 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 terrible. Like. Let me just give you a little hint. Like, there's necrophilia, and yeah. and 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 uh, you know, his crew is like he's just laying there, and he's just sitting on the edge of his bed, weeping. You know, asking the dead corpse of the slave girl that we that that we just killed, why won't she love him? And it's just like you go, wow, you actually read <laughs> that? Uh, um, I don't, I don't need, I don't need that much of my intergalactic despots for a background. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, so this was our deep dive into Thanos, the Infinity Gauntlet, the Infinity Stones, and we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, it was, we're titling this a, a love story because not only do we love this particular brand of Marvel Comics and these storylines, but really, Thanos did it all for love. And, did it all uh, for the nookie. He did it all for the Wookiee. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's try to wrap up because we're almost at the two hour point and I'm going to need to edit this shit down uh, shameless plugs uh, you can listen to me Adam Worth on the Bad Advice Show where we help make the, be- the world a better place by saying terrible terrible things I also am a player on For Whom the Dice Rolls which is a live action uh, real time 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons podcast I play Doc who is a rogue uh, half-elf rogue, and I like to think of him as one-half Rocket Raccoon, one-half Peter Vinkman. So oh, Jesus. That's, that's, that's a lot of Snack fun. is strong with this one. Yeah, it's, 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 I am a curmudgeon. Um, so that and, is... And a little, little tip, if Doc asks you to make him a sandwich, make him a sandwich! <laughs> that was a fun episode. Um, anyway, that's where you can listen to me. Uh, why don't we uh, just let Chris go, and then let Gene go, and then we'll be out. Alright, I'm uh, Chris Tyler, a.k.a. the Ham Metal Hero. I'm all over the Two True Freaks Network. I do Cast Protection, which is a uh, show that covers uh, the Netflix original series Stranger Things, and we also branch into stuff that is uh, ins- that inspired the show. I am on the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, where we and my uh, co-hosts uh, cover horror movies that we like, and I'm on Weekly Heroics, where we cover a lot of the superhero-slash-comic-book television. 
Gene? Alright, you can find me every Thursday at thehammerstrikes.com where I just post random geeky uh, articles, uh, whatever happens to pop into my head that week. Uh, I also do a similarly random podcast called The Hammer Podcasts uh, that can be found on 2TrueFreaks.com, just like the Quantum Cast that Adam and I co-host, all about the Kevin Bacon of the Marvel Universe, Quasar, which is... Which is released like once a year. If we're lucky. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm also co-host on Anime Freaks with Dr. Bill Robinson, where we are currently covering the Record of Lotus War and (gasps) Attack on Titan. Wait, you're doing Record of Lotus War and you didn't invite me? Because you would take over the damn show. What? <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's a fair copy. That's fair. 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 Uh, thanks for joining us, folks. We're going to release this in multiple threads. It's a special episode. Uh, I don't even really know what uh, to what podcast to title this under, but we're going to re- uh, release it in several places. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, the Bad Advice Show's Facebook page, The Bad Advice Show on Facebook, is probably the best way to do it. Um, and, of course, you can go to Gene's blog he mentioned. And, Chris, if they wanted to email you, how would they do that? Uh, the best way to do it would probably be... Uh, oh, jeez, I don't remember the emails for any of the shows. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, sorry. You can I'm send on it. Facebook. You can, you can message me on Facebook. Yeah, you can send it to The Bad Advice Show, and I'll make sure it gets over to him. Uh, fellas, thanks for joining me tonight. This was a really, you know, an act of love, because this is one of my very favorite storylines uh, and uh, I'm glad that we're finally getting to see a version of this on the big screen. And that's all I got. We out. <laughs>